0: It's not doing anything. Okay, there we go. Welcome to the Subtweets and Therapy.
1: (laughs) That's the perfect intro. It's not doing anything. Oh, never
0: mind. Welcome to the Subtweets and Therapy podcast, the podcast where there's no specific theme, only
1: words. Mm. Sometimes not even words, just noises. Yeah, basically. And uh, in today's happenings, they got Aunt Jemima, y'all. I know, man. They got her. And man, I'm conflicted about this. As I love some on Jemima, I have like two bottles in my pantry right now i uh I don't know what to say about this one i
0: so here's the thing. the syrup itself is very good mm. all cabins also very good yes, but they're just changing the name and getting rid of the the imagery from it since yeah it was, like the origins of it is obviously problematic mm. Right.
1: I mean, to yeah, to say the least, it's probably. I kind of
0: linked this. It's not as significant, obviously, but I think it's. I kind of linked this to getting rid of
1: the statues. Okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair, and like obviously, there are other syrups out there that you can get, like log I, cabin, log cabin. I like Hungry Jack too. Hungry Jack can be pretty good. Is uh,
0: is that the one with the country boy on it?
1: No, never
0: mind. <laughs> I don't know. I what about to get excited because I've been looking for this syrup for a long time.
1: It has a country boy on it? Hold on, let me see. I think so. Yeah, I'll be right back. See. We're just going to pause this. I'm going to no, cut no, this part. It go, up. It no, it just says Hunger
0: Jack. on it. No, I guess I'm wrong. Yeah. I just have this memory as a kid. Fever dream. Maybe. Maybe I'm hallucinating or something, but I remember having this as. So I was explaining this to Jace when I was at home. Yeah. That... Normally I don't look at syrup as the reason for the reason I want pancakes, right? I just it's I want pancakes, therefore I need syrup. Right. But this country boy syrup, if I'm not dreaming, made me want pancakes so I could have the syrup. Oh,
1: interesting. I've never heard of the syrup before, but let me know if you find it.
0: Yeah, I I don't know what the name is Country Country Boy syrup, (laughs) (laughs) Syrup, but I don't think that's gonna work. (laughs) That's gonna
1: bring up some really weird results.
0: Maybe it's not a thing and I'm just like tripping. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: This is a fear of dream. Anyways, um, what do we want to talk about today?
0: I think we need to do the continuation of the podcast that we posted first. Ah, yeah.
1: Okay. Black Lives Matter Part
0: 2. So, we recorded that a week ago, and since then, we've had a lot of things that have happened. Yes. Um, good and bad. Mm. Obviously, the protests are still going on. They are a lot more peaceful, as you have not seen anything on the news, because the
1: news likes to show the violence yes because i know that'll get viewers more than anything else
0: um but other positive things is in louisville kentucky Mm -hmm. the no-knock warrant Mm -hmm. is not a thing now yeah they're pushing for it to not be a thing federally
1: Mm -hmm. as the no-knock thing is kind of bogus yeah entirely bogus yeah um so yeah i'm i'm looking forward to seeing uh, more states follow suit with something like that um and I'm keeping a really close eye uh, to see what states actually take the plunge with either getting rid of entirely or revamping the idea of uh, qualified immunity. Um, And that kind of like, that lends into the the first thing that I wanna talk about, which is like, how we can more practically address police brutality from a legal standpoint, Mm -hmm. um, and how we can tackle the issue of police reform. Um, So like with qualified immunity, Basically, if you don't know what that is, it is the standard that a plaintiff, aka a a civilian, uh, needs to meet whenever they are suing a government agent, aka a police officer, uh, for a violation of statutory or uh, constitutional rights. Um, But the issue with this is that the verbiage states that um, the plaintiff must be able to clearly demonstrate that the police officer violated these rights. or violated rights that a reasonable person would know, basically. So there's a lot of leeway. There's a lot of gray area. uh, And, you know, there's a lot of, well, what exactly is clear and what exactly is a violation and what exactly is reasonable and blah, blah, blah. So um, that law basically gives a lot of protection to police officers um, whenever they are facing consequences for the illegal actions that they've taken Uh, They can hide behind qualified immunity and nothing really comes to light as far as like what they did wrong. Right. Or, you know, there isn't really any sort of reparation for the wrong that they did to that person or to that person's family. Um, So that's something that I think we really need to keep our eyes on. And as a country, we really need to like push for even more is just getting rid of that or rewording it um, so that police officers don't have as much of a shield uh, when it comes to how they are presented in court. True. Um, The reason I really think that this is important though is because let's say you and I are uh, caught up in a situation in which a police officer has violated one of our rights and we are attempting to recoup some things that we've lost whether it's Uh, monetarily or, you know, just in terms of like needing justice in order for us to move forward. Um, Once we really boil down to it and we're in court, it's going to be the word of a police officer against mine, against mine. And
0: in any place, the word of the officer is always
1: going to be put on top. It's going to carry so much more weight. Mm -hmm. And like we've been as civilians, we've been mentally conditioned to believe what a police officer is saying more than what than how much we would believe what a civilian is saying, right? Right. Like, they are a police officer. They're in a position of authority. and They uphold they, the law. Yes, they are lawful do-gooders who enforce the law and keep us on the straight and narrow. That is just the assumption that we have when it comes to police officers. And that mentality has given police officers who are not operating as they should a ton of leeway to do things illegally and not be reprimanded for it.
0: Right. Yeah. So
1: that's something that I think is like a big first step. In, and I really hope that, um, states actually do something about qualified immunity. Um, but I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see.
0: Yeah. I think that's one of the things that you should call your government officials about. Yes. Write letters a lot of times, hearing perspective of other people generally may help push that forward some mm-hmm. more.
1: Definitely. And actually, I'm glad you brought up like contacting uh, your reps uh, and things like that. Um, something else that you can do, like if you don't want to um, give a phone call or anything, you can do what my mom is doing. My mom is writing a um, testimony, and she's basically calling out for specific actions Right, Uh, and so like you have more uh, time to kind of lay your thoughts out and like make your points and whatnot versus if you were just having a conversation on the phone with a random person. So you know if you don't want to talk to somebody on the phone, you can like write a letter or shoot an email or something like that, and that's equally as effective. Um, Another thing that I think we should talk about when it comes to addressing police brutality, um, we need to talk about the level of training. And education yes. That our police officers go through. Not necessarily in comparison to other countries, because there can be a, a lot of disparity between uh, the cultures of the country, the gun cultures of the countries, stuff like that. But like you like to point out, I can't remember how many hours it is for beauty school.
0: I believe it's 1,500. About 1,500, 1500 hours. 1,500 hours. Right. And okay. police officers... Roughly eight hundred ish, eight hundred ish hours right. or so, which is kind of crazy to kind think about. Yeah, in that it's almost double the amount of time to be able to do someone's hair, right, and nails than right. it is to uphold
1: the law. And like this is something that we talked about, and I've talked about it with my family before. Um, for a lot of police officers they don't have an education, a personal education beyond a high school GED or a high school diploma. True. Right? So you're talking about someone who has a high school level education, barely, um, who gets 800 hours of training that is mostly combat training versus de-escalation tactics and things like that. Uh, And you are not only giving them a weapon and a gun, you're also authorizing them to act as an authority figure wherever they go. So you're asking a lot of someone who doesn't necessarily have the, critical proper, thi- training. the, the, the proper training, the critical thinking skills, um, or even the personal maturity to handle a difficult situation before reaching for force. True. You know, like for them, they're trying to get it, it done as fast as possible. They're trying to, you know, gain control of the situation as quickly as possible. So force is the first thing that they think of, right? Because they haven't gone through the training of trying to assess the situation, calmly speak with the individuals involved, uh, and then use de-escalation tactics to gain control of people's emotions first. I also
0: think that's largely in part to a lot, we ask a lot of police officers in the society. Indeed. And I think that we don't necessarily always put them in situations that they're necessarily qualified to be able to handle. Very true. And so a lot of times when you're used to dealing with people in violent Mm. situations, Mm -hmm. when it comes to other situations, you're more apt to act in ways that you were trained. So let's say I I heard a story on another podcast about how some officers are trained in violent prisons first. Mm. And so when that's what you're used to seeing, that's the default environment in your mind that you're Right. Applying to everything. Right. 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 And so when you're dealing with things that aren't in a violent prison, you're already trained to handle things at the extreme level. Right. And so being able to just compartmentalize that Mm
1: -hmm. becomes difficult. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can only imagine what it's like for people who are police officers in prisons or, you know, guards in prisons trying to deal with that level of threat all the time and then transitioning out of that environment into an area that doesn't have that level of threat is very difficult. I can imagine, you know, like I don't really know how I would respond in that moment, especially without the proper training, especially without taking the time to make sure that my um, state of mind is in the right place in in a, in a place that actually matches the environment that I'm in. You know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like with soldiers, you know, whenever they come back from serving and duty, like it, is difficult for a lot of them to readjust to civilian life. Yeah, not just that,
0: but like my grandpa is a veteran Mm -hmm. and he has PTSD from fighting over there. So when you hear like
1: an engine backfire, you default to what you were accustomed to there. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, no, I actually didn't really know that that um, happened with some police officers training. Um, That's a really interesting aspect of this. And it just like further highlights um, something that, I think we really need to see more of with police officers. We need to see um, police officers with a different mentality. You know, mm-hmm. like right now, our police departments feel very militarized. You know, and the interactions between police officers and civilians feels very much like the police officer are is is approaching like an enemy soldier. Yeah. You know, versus approaching a civilian. You know, um, the mentality is just they're not they don't connect the same you know like we're coming from two totally different worlds and that's problematic to me for someone who's supposed to be serving and protecting the community that they're in
0: i think you you can like a good example of that is if you look at the protests right? Mm -hmm. you see people coming to protest, and a group of officers already showing up in riot gear right 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 so that kind of
1: helps dictate how this is going to go right it definitely sets the tone. And, like, I'm not saying that police officers shouldn't protect themselves. Because, right. obviously, there are a lot of crazy people out there, and, you know, they'll sneak into protests, and, you know, they'll they'll incite violence if that's what they want to do. So, obviously, like, police officers need to protect themselves. But by choosing to show up in riot gear, by choosing to tear gas protesters, by choosing to use your battens to beat people, um, you know, you are setting the tone. Yeah. That this is going to be a very tense very like not peaceful situation because you are trying to set yourself up as the authority via force versus anything else. Instead of taking a moment to actually listen and oblige and allow people to voice their frustrations, you from the outset are saying, we're not going to listen. You're wrong. We're right because we can force you to be wrong. Right. So... This ties into what we're talking about with uh, defund the police. Mm -hmm. Um, You and I agree. Defund the police sounds way worse than what it actually is. I think that's why it has
0: a more visceral reaction with people. Yes. is because a lot of people, if you don't know the details, I was talking to Jaya about this. If you don't know the details of what people are saying when they say things like defund, or abolish, Mm -hmm. right? Those words
1: sound harsh. Yes. Right. They sound very much like end all, be all type things. Right. Defund the police. We're going to get rid of the police entirely, which is not a good idea.
0: Basically, it's more, I guess, for lack of a better word, a reimagining of how we go about enforcing the law here. Yeah. Or revamping, if you will. Right. Um, Like, let's use LAPD, for example. Uh, they get six billion dollars for the police. Billion with a B. Yeah, six billion, right? Mm-hmm. S- a reallocation of funds would be a good start, mm-hmm. right? Um, putting money into community programs, into mental health
1: um, institutions,
0: awareness, institutions, awareness,
1: things like that. Right. Social workers, right? 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 Um, I. This is something that's like really, it feels kind of personal for me um, as a teacher. I've experienced uh, situations with people who struggle with like mental health mm-hmm. uh, or struggle with their emotional health, uh, and they have had violent outbursts. Right, so like I, to a small extent, understand what it can feel like to be someone that's involved in a situation like that. It can get pretty hairy pretty quickly. Um, the idea of sending a police officer who has mostly been trained for combat mostly been trained for violent de-escalation uh, into a situation that is as delicate as helping someone with mental health is the wrong choice for in my me. mind.
0: An example for me would be, let's say I had a toothache. Mm. I'm not going to go to a general doctor mm. to go manage my toothache right? because they're not necessarily qualified to do so. Right. They may know a little bit right. in how to deal with it, but there's someone who's m- far more qualified to deal with said toothache. Right. Right? So, in a lot of ways, I feel as if it could be better for police officers if they weren't being asked to do everything.
1: Right. There are people such as social workers um, who have the proper training to respond to certain situations better than police officers. And police officers can focus on doing their normal duties, you know, without being asked to do these extra things and deal with situations that they're not trained for. Right. Right. Which is why I think it's important that we take a hard look at defunding the police, because if we do reallocate some of this money and we um, put some of it towards like funding for emergency workers, of, all, of different types to respond to different types of situations, we can see a better rate of interactions with law enforcement. Um, but going a couple of steps beyond that, we can even reallocate that money to things like um, better social housing repairs.
0: Just in the community as a whole. Yes,
1: in the community as a whole. Um, or funding schools for better um, nutritious lunches or for more supplies or for better paid teachers. And the reason- After school programs. After school programs, like the reason that I wanna bring that up is because those things lead to a higher quality of life. And if you have people, even though they're not making a whole bunch of money in whatever community that they're in, if that community is receiving assistance at a consistent rate, and their quality of life goes up, their desire and need to commit certain crimes goes down. Because they're having certain needs met. You know, and they don't have to go outside of the law or, you know, into the gray area of the law in order to meet some of those needs. Correct. You can get kids better education. You can get them into more after school programs, which helps parents so that they can go to work without having to worry about when they're going to get off. uh, So their kids aren't just hanging out in the streets and stuff like that. Um, Those kids can get uh, better fed at lunch so that they feel physically better And that will help them perform better in school, which will help their emotional health. It's all... It all kind of ties together. together. Yes. It's all tied together. And obviously that sounds very, you know, like... Utopia. Yes. Utopia type. But it can work. It will happen in baby steps. Yeah. It's
0: not going to be something that's just overnight. Right. But it can work. Kind of like in Minneapolis they have the city council voted to terminate the current role of the police. Right. And so what a lot of people will assume is that there are no police officers anymore. Right. When that is not
1: mm-hmm. what's
0: happening here.
1: Mm-hmm. It is, and I keep using this word just because it's the best word that I can think of, but it is a revamping of how police officers police. And it leads to something that I think is super important which is the demilitarization of police departments in general. Right now, like you said, the uh, uh, LAPD, they have a $6 billion budget, right? There is no way in the world that they're going to be able to spend all of that money on necessary policing things without having a large excess. Right. And so... Obviously, that excess has to be used in some sort of way. They have to use that money. So they gravitate towards tanks and uh, higher grade weapons and higher grade riot gear and things like that. And it just, it's sending the wrong message, in my opinion. I agree. You I agree. Know? I just don't really
0: see cases in which I feel like a tank is necessary right. in the streets. Right. There's never really a time where right. I feel like, hey, that's. Let's do that.
1: Exactly. Like, uh, I mean, d- to pull an example from, like, other countries, um, like, some South American countries, they have a lot of political unrest for a variety of reasons, right? So things are, they've gotten so bad that, like, things are just violent, generally speaking, down mm-hmm. there. So, you know, the police are using things like tanks and military, military-grade military weapons and whatnot because that's how bad things have gotten, right? And America is not really at that level. And I don't think that we need to give the police a reason for it to become something that is at that level.
0: True. Plus, I feel in a lot of black communities, they're over-policed.
1: Mm-hmm. Right? Also, and- side note, I'm really ignorant when it comes to, like, South American politics, so I don't mean to, like, generalize South American politics or South American countries. That's just an example of something that, like, I have seen and read about before. So, sorry. Right. Just wanted to get that out there. I just feel... Uh- I, it's not even really a feeling. It's
0: more of a fact that a lot of black communities are over-policed, mm-hmm. which is partially the role to play in mass incarceration and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so by just decreasing their role and mm-hmm. having to do with everything, mm-hmm. mental health checks, stuff like that, mm-hmm. I feel like it helps the community overall. Mm-hmm. It's less stressful for police officers overall to have to do a mental health check when you're not res- necessarily aware of, what you should be doing, how to handle it, and stuff mm-hmm.
1: like that. No, you are one thousand percent right about that, and I really like the way that you are, um, the way that you're putting it, because we are asking a lot of police officers. You mm-hmm. know, like they are asked to do a lot of things, and by taking some of those things off their plate, you know, it will help them to do their job at a at a higher level because they have less things that they're being asked to do. So I know I, I really like the way that you put that, and I like that idea. Um, so let's see what happens, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I just kind of think the
0: system as a whole and how we go about justice in this country, yeah, needs to be rethought. Yeah, Whether I agree. It's policing, prison reforms, in which maybe right. think about. For me, with prisons, I think we mostly focus on isolation mm-hmm. rather than reforming. Right. Rehabilitation. Right. Um. In certain cases, there's some cases where they should absolutely be isolated. Yes. Right? Yes. I'm, I'm more talking about nonviolent. Yes, nonviolent crimes. crimes. Because what happens is by isolating, you often put them in an environment where they're going to... Spiral. Spiral and have no other choice but to worsen, to survive. And right. then when they get out, because of how we look at felons right. in our country, mm-hmm. it makes it more likely that you're able to... Be a repeat.
1: Yes, a repeat offender. offender. Uh, this is something that um, I've been really passionate about since college. Uh, I was really passionate about it in college. Um, the concept of recidivism, mm-hmm. uh, which is basically when someone is incarcerated and then they get out and then for whatever reason they go back in, right? That is a part of the recidivism rate that a lot of prisons have. Um, and it's this cycle where someone is in a community that has a low quality of life. Mm-hmm. In order to cope, they commit a crime. They're caught. Um, even if it's a nonviolent crime, they are overly punished because they are in a low-income area that is over-policed. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, so they go to prison. They have to adjust to prison life. Uh, and in a lot of ways, prison life is probably more consistent for them than outside of prison. right? And then they leave the prison and they go back into that same community and they have less than they had when they were in prison and less opportunity and less opportunities. And they're viewed even as even lower than they were before, before they went into prison because now they're a felon. Right? It's a
0: lot like, um, did you see those clips
1: of when there were mass fires in California,
0: they used prisoners, prisoners to help put out the fires. Right. Now when those prisoners were released, they couldn't become firemen right? because of their felon status, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if we focused on rehabilitation and reforming behaviors like that, mm-hmm. that's a really good opportunity to make someone a successful citizen. Yes. It right? gives
1: them a chance to contribute to society. It gives them that feeling of accomplishment and growth, and it will encourage them to look upwards in terms of like their life tra- trajectory so that they want to do things that are better for them, right? So like like I was saying before, like we were talking about before with defunding the police and reallocating funds to create a higher quality of life in certain communities, if you are also looking for ways in which you can improve the life of people who are felons, you will lower the recidivism rate and you'll have a healthier functioning society. Now... The opposition to this is private prisons. Yes. People who are literally paid to keep people in prison. They are not incentivized to rehabilitate. Right. They're because not. Because incentiv- they make money based
0: upon how many people are filling up the
1: prison beds. Right. Their high recidivism rate is crucial for them mm-hmm. to make sure that they keep lining their pockets. Right. So if we're going to have prison reform, I think we need to either do away with private prisons or vigorously reform private prisons. And regulate. And regulate them, yes. Because the concept, the idea of someone becoming a millionaire or a billionaire because they created a system of private prisons that intentionally doesn't rehabilitate or improve the quality of life or mental health in their prisoners because it keeps them there is fundamentally sick. It is. It's fundamentally wrong, you know. Like people who are in those prisons oftentimes are treated as animals, mm-hmm. and but they end up relying on the prison to help them live, because if they get out of that prison, their quality of life is so low that they don't have anything, you know, and they can't do anything. They can't improve their lives. Right. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a sick cycle, really. It's a really sick cycle. Um, Let's see. I'm going to head back to my notes here. Um, So with us talking about recidivism and prison reform and all that, and I don't want to get too far away from this if you have other points with Oh, no, go ahead. Okay. Um, It's just another example to me of how, like, throughout the course of this country, whenever black people try to rise up, in a variety of arenas that aren't related to things like athletics or entertainment, um, in some way, shape or form, this system shuts it down. Right. So like with us talking about recidivism and prison reform, that's one way of keeping black people from improving their lives whenever they get out of prison, because we don't give them, out, give them the opportunity to, right? right. Uh, a different example is things like black wall street or the Seneca village, which I just learned about, literally this past week. Yeah. You DM me about it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it, I, I learn, I'm Central learning. Park. Yes. I'm learning more and more about how in the past, black communities, groups of black people have been able to reach certain levels of success. Um, whether it's just like in the quality of life of their community or whether it's monetarily with black wall street Or, you know, uh, more black lawyers, black doctors, black businessmen and women, you know, whatever. Um, Each time it seems that there has been a moment in time of our history of that happening, it's been shut down, whether it's through violence, like with Black Wall Street Mm -hmm. or with what was it? Eminent Domain. Eminent Domain with Seneca Village. Um, Like, I'm just I'm so frustrated about this in general. Because it's like, you know, you know that that bullcrap narrative of, you know, the black community is lazy, lazy uneducated, do nothing. Do they don't care about their community, they don't try to improve themselves, blah, 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 blah. Like, you've never seen you know, a black community like be largely successful together. You don't see a lot of black business leaders or whatever, like all of that bullcrap is reinforced because whenever we have had that, those people have either been killed or incarcerated. Or shut down. And or the, shut down.
0: And the thing is. A lot of people don't necessarily know about it is because it's not taught. Yes, in school. Yes, because a lot of black history is kind of sponged away mm-hmm. in history classes. Mm-hmm. For example, like we learn about Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. we don't necessarily learn about Malcolm X. Right. We don't learn about what happened in Tulsa in 1921. Right. We don't learn about how Central Park became Central Park.
1: Yes censor Central Park, the park that the world loves, that we've seen in all those movies and TV shows and whatnot, is literally standing on the bones of a black community that was largely, largely successful until eminent domain was used to take it out from under them.
0: Right. Uh, a lot of what is taught is censored, I would say. Mm. So in history, we learn, oh, you know, things weren't so great. They were slaves. And then, uh, you know that got abolished and then civil rights happened and a man named Martin Luther King Jr. spoke up mm. and everything was good again. Yeah, everything was all dandy and now everyone's all equal. No one talks I mean we hear about sit-ins right no right. one talks about how long those sit-ins were, right. how many marches there were, right. how long this struggle was. Mm-hmm.
1: No one talks about the fact that you know well, at least not a lot they don't talk about the fact that police dogs were set on people that police officers used horses to run black people down that they, you know, shot water at them from like firefighter uh, engines. Yeah, and basically, tanks.
0: the water hoses and dogs of yesterday have turned into tear gas mm-hmm. and riot police mm-hmm. of today. today.
1: And honestly, like if you look at the the origins and the history of uh, police officers and policing in general in this country, it started with the idea of hunting black people down, hunting slaves down who had escaped from plantations.
0: That's a good point, because in the colonial days, there was no dedicated police force. Mm-hmm. They The community handled things on their own. Mm-hmm. What happened was, once the slaves were free and we were allowed, we weren't necessarily walking amongst or alongside. Right. We were just kind of there. Right. Once black people were free, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. they decided to put together a force that was to police them.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I wish I had included this in my notes because I actually like I did some like further digging and and reading on it uh, because like that force in its origins started out as like a runaway slave. Well, well, yeah, it it actually started off as like a roving, quote unquote, protection group against Native Americans. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's eventually swapped from protecting um, certain plots of land from Native Americans um, into hunting Native Americans down and just murdering them because "quote unquote" the threat was there, yeah. um, and then that eventually morphed into hunting slaves, um, and then that so much so that a lot of the badges that um, showed, if you look
0: back at pictures of mm-hmm. the runaway slave, please, yeah. the badge shape is still the same. <laughs> the text
1: is just different. Wow, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Um, so yeah, it's like it morphed from that into what it is today with over-policing black communities uh, and, and and things like that. Um,
0: the other thing that goes into that narrative
1: that black people are
0: lazy and things is that a lot of the things that we invented mm. were not necessarily credited yes. to us. I was listening to a podcast from NPR mm. in which they talked about a black inventor was going to go give his inventions, but at the time they stopped allowing them to be able to do so. Really? But Native Americans were allowed to do so. So what he did was he gave the invention to the Native American person mm. and went alongside of him as the assistant mm. to get the patent for I his invention. see. Oh, man. There's so much. And so a lot of our history is not talked about. Yeah. It's more just kind of buried and it's on you to go find. If yeah. It's not necessarily taught in school. 100%. It's Actually. like when I was eight... When I believe it was in second grade, um, I talked with my mom and I was like, we don't really talk about black people. Mm -hmm. And so my mom always big on getting me books, got me this book. And she was like, why don't we talk to the school and see if you can go around and Mm -hmm. talk about one person a day. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we did. And that is one of the only times I remember learning and talking about, Mm -hmm. Black people Mm -hmm. and their history. Mm -hmm.
1: And, like, this touches on something that also really bothers me. Like, I had multiple conversations with um, white peers in high school about why we have Black History Month, you know, because they were looking at it from from the perspective of, like, why do you guys get a whole month, you know? And, like, at the time I didn't really know how to respond to it, but now I do, and it's that, like, we have a whole month because we need at least that. Like the amount of things that we're not taught about black history that we're not taught about just American history and how black people were involved with it is staggering. And honestly you need way more than a month to to, cover it. Right. So like the black history month is really just a little bandaid that our society has like put on that issue To pretend as if, hey, you know, we are talking about like the history of black people in this country, but it's all very canned, you know, and it's all very um, uh, cleaned up, you know, for lack of a a better term. Um, So, you know, it's not like, oh, we get a whole month. It's, oh, we need at least this to cover our you know what's because if we don't do that, then, you know, we're going to have an even bigger problem on our hands because we won't mention black people at all in this country.
0: Yeah, it's kind of why I have a
1: problem with uh, black history being an elective mm-hmm. class
0: rather than just ingrained in history. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Uh, And that uh, reminds me of, um, I don't know what has been done about this. I haven't looked it up. I probably should have. Um, but I think it was like last year, Texas government, um, the, I think it was TEA actually, um, was going to approve the removal of the word slaves and slavery from our history books. And it was going to change them to indentured servants as in to completely wipe out the notion that black people were ever slaves in this country ever, which (laughs) the fact that that was like happening, like that was the thing that was going to happen. And I'm not ridiculous. I, I think it might have happened. I'm not even sure is mind boggling. To me, because now it puts black people in a position of looking like they're liars to everyone else that's in the growing up alongside them, you know. And like little black kids are talking about how black people used to be slaves, and their non-black counterparts are gonna be like, "What are you talking about? You guys weren't slaves; you were indentured servants." Which we can be like, "Was that was well after?"
0: Yeah, slavery was the thing. Well after, so I don't that know. was more my
1: uh, great grandmother's time. Yes. Yeah, and it's just—I don't know—it highlights to me just how easily the black narrative can be adjusted, shifted, changed, or erased. In I mean, country. a
0: great, a great way to look—a great example of that—is the Kaepernick protest. Yeah. Right, and mm-hmm. how it went from one of "Hey, stop killing us, please" mm. to. Disrespecting the flag, the military, Mm -hmm. stuff
1: like that. Mm -hmm. Even though I've seen plenty of active um, service members as well as retired service members openly state that they understand that Kaepernick was not protesting them and what they were doing to help keep this country safe. They understood that actually what Kaepernick was doing was something that they went to war to protect. I mean, the thing,
0: too, is he said it. Yeah. Right? Like, it's not like it was a vague... Right. It's not like we were in an English class trying to find meaning through words. Right. He he specifically said... Right.
1: ...what the cause was. Right. And uh, that whole thing, like, if you are someone who is still at the point where you are offended because Kaepernick was taking a knee during the national anthem, and you think that he still has an issue with soldiers, then you are, like purposefully remaining ignorant
0: plus especially with what's happening today it's kind of hard to ignore yeah that he said this four years ago yeah like it's been a problem yeah right like like i was born a month before the la riots Mm. which were about the
1: same thing Mm. that we're protesting today Mm -hmm. Uh, the story a lot of the times feels like it hasn't changed Straight up. It feels like it hasn't changed sometimes. It's not entirely true. You know, we have had good victories, and I don't want to discount that, but it is so important that we take the reins of our narrative, and we find as many avenues as possible to get the truth out there, and to get it out there at such a volume that it simply cannot be ignored.
0: That's why I think documentaries like 13th on Netflix,
1: Yes. um, I love Ava DuVernay. Yeah. She's when they happy. see
0: us. Mhm.
1: Things like that roots. Mhm. Roots. Listen, uh, man, that's an experience. <laughs>
0: things like that I think are
1: important
0: because it tells what's actually out there happening mm-hmm. or happened.
1: Mhm. Mhm. And it's just it's important because so much of our perspective on things whether it's history or current day is shaped by the media we consume.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, like, so much of how we view police officers when we're little kids is shaped by how they are represented. You know, in movies, TV shows, they are always the lawful do-gooders. They are always the leaders of the group. They, are they always, solve every case. Yeah, they solve every case. They're always above board. They never do anything that's wrong. There's
0: always a justified reason for shooting somebody.
1: Stuff like that. You know, like <clears throat> shooting someone turns you, to, it, it turns you into a hero versus someone who shot somebody. Um, like just the, the, the way that things are portrayed and the way that we consume media, the rate that we consume it at and how much of the world we learn from the media that we consume just highlights how important it is for us to use the media in a much more efficient and healthy manner. Like, we have got to combat the narratives that have been running rampant in this country ever since The Birth of a Nation. Mm -hmm. Which, if you guys don't know what The Birth of a Nation is, it is arguably the most racist piece of cinematic film that you could ever come across. Uh, It literally depicted black men as animalistic, super strong, violent, violent, entirely prone to evil notion beings that can't think beyond a certain level. It depicted um, the Klansmen as white heroes who were protecting white women from the animalistic and overly sexualized black man, right? Yeah. And that narr- narrative has continued on. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, you're good. I think to the point of taking control
0: of our narrative and our story Mm -hmm. i think that's to bring this full circle why it's kind of important why we take stuff like the portrayal of black women are aunt jemima and miss buttersworth Mm, good point that's why we take stuff like that down good point because that's portraying like oh we were so happy Mm. in the south as slaves Mm. we had such a good time that's why stuff like that is important
1: yeah no that's a really good point I was definitely about to go off on, like, another 30-minute rant. So thank you for stopping me with that. Uh, That's something we can talk about in a different episode, I guess. Um, But, yeah, just to, like, last, like, parting shot here. Like, the way that black people are portrayed, whether it's in media or in history books or whatever, oftentimes is concocted. And it fits a specific agenda and a specific narrative. Mm And if you as a white person cannot look inwardly and discover the stereotypes that you believe and uh, have allowed to be reinforced in your mind based off of things that you have watched, then you have a lot of work to do, straight up. You have a lot of work to do because we aren't what we have been portrayed to be all the time. Yeah. So Very true. There you go. Sorry, that was kind of a heavy point.
0: But. oh no, no no you're good yeah. you're good uh my parting shot would be i know that defund and abolish are harsh terms mm. but know that there's more nuance mm-hmm. within this um think of it more as when rayshard brooks is asleep in a drive through mm. it's calling a social worker or a tow truck or a tow truck not a police officer
1: or you know just splashing some water on him. Or just knock on his window. Yeah, you know, you know simple. That things.
0: that to me is an example of what, <clears throat> what abolish the police is. <clears throat> so
1: yeah, yeah, man. Sounds like we have more things that we got to delve into. <laughs> yeah, this
0: is a this is a topic that I feel could go on for a while. <laughs> like this is this is something that we can continue to revisit over time. Yeah. Um, because there is a lot of nuance in how we need to think about these things. It's not just black or white. No, no pun intended.
1: <laughs> you know. Yeah. Sure. No pun intended. Um, yeah. No. I think it's important that you know we at least come back to it. Um, just because it's important to keep educating yourself. Yeah. It's important to keep learning. Um, it's important to keep growing. And until we are able to address what I think is truly the main issue, which is racism within the heart of people. I don't really think that this issue is going to go away. Yeah, because it's it's a hundred
0: percent something that is learned. Yeah. Right. It's something that you grow up with and develop and it becomes ingrained Mm -hmm. in you as a person. Agreed. And so until we're able to break that cycle, we have, a really long way to go.
1: Agreed. So, yeah, that was uh, episode number two. Subtweets and therapy. Always remember that he subtweets. I'm therapy. therapy. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.
0: Oh, also, um, we will be on Apple Podcast soon. Yeah. We're on Spotify and all of that. Follow, share, rate, comment if you can, comment, rate, rate,
1: review. All of that. Get it out there, please.
0: Yeah, thanks for listening. See you next time.
1: Later.